0: Our scripture lesson today comes from Paul's letter to the early church in Galatia. Let's share in God's good word together. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work, then that work rather than their neighbor's work will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I consider myself a people person. I like to connect with others, learn their stories, and bond. Yet, I can also feel overwhelmed, even anxious or frustrated by the obligations and responsibilities of these same relationships and what they seem to demand. It is good and right and healthy to bond and to have healthy attachments with others. But it's not enough. We also need self-determination of what we do how we live and how we spend our time and resources under God's good and loving guidance. Often, wonderful people of our church family will come and see me when they reach, well, you know, their mid-30s, when their responsibilities to their spouse and to their children, they begin to bump up against their loyalties to their own parents or other important relationships, like their bosses or other authority figures in their lives. And it sounds something like this. All my life, I've been so afraid to disappoint people that I've never said no to anyone in order not to let down my family, my wife, my boss, and my friends. I've worked later, longer, and harder than anyone I know. I even feel that God depends on me for everything. and I'm so busy taking care of everyone else's request for my time that I've been ignoring my own. No wonder I felt burned out. For years. Now, friends, these are the real words of a man in therapy with psychologist Dr. John Townsend. And I hear them pretty regularly, too, from people I love. They're wonderful people, but they're hurting. They are depressed and bewildered, torn between competing loyalties. But there's good news, friends. Jesus tells us the truth will set us free. And the truth is that there is hope today. There is help Today, and there is a better, more joy filled life ahead for you. But it will require some important and at times difficult work learning how to set and keep and hold a boundary with people we love dearly. This week in our sermon series, Relationship Boot Camp, we look at what the Bible says about boundaries. Let's get started. It might just change your life for good. As a way of introduction, This sermon series is for ordinary families, people like you and me, in everyday struggles we all face. Highlight and underline all. Every single one of us struggle with these very real things. Attaching to others and holding boundaries. So the first most fundamental need for all of us is forming deep and loving attachments. And if you missed last week, it's online for you. And we spent the whole sermon talking about creating loving attachments in our families. And you can do it. Even if you didn't grow up with it, you can learn how to do it and do it in your family. So this is important because, unfortunately, most of us have had the experience of expressing our needs and feelings to a parent or someone else, only to have the parent emotionally withdraw or attack back with hostility. You say to your mom or your dad or a grandparent or a brother or sister, you know, when this happened, I didn't feel like you were there for me. And it takes a very mature person to say, wow, I didn't see that. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? That's a great response. But my hunch is it's also pretty rare. Um, A lot of folks I know are like, oh, you're upset about that? I'll give you something to be upset about. And that's sort of a natural pushback defense mechanism that most people just have. And so this can be really painful and difficult stuff to do. But I'm rooting for you. I'm praying for you. And we can do this together. So what does a healthy family look like? A healthy family provides safe emotional shelter. It models vulnerability. And it also communicates needs. Moms, dads, kids, grandparents, they can say, you know, this is something I might like. And here are some things I really need. I need from my family right now. I don't need them all the time, but This week, I really do need this. This is what I need. This is what I want. And so in order for us to have those kinds of uh, relationships on our families, those sorts of conversations, those sorts uh, of really healthy relationships, we have to learn how to set boundaries. We have to know what's ours and what's not ours. What are the things that I'm responsible for in myself? And who am I responsible to? Um, What are my responsibilities? Because if we can't get clear on that, then we'll find ourselves exhausted. So the first need that we all have is attachment. The second need is separateness. Now, isn't that a kick in the pants? The first thing you need is to connect and to attach. And as soon as you actually get that down, then you have to learn how to separate that back out. It can be overwhelming. I want you to see this at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2. You have both of these these things happen right in the second chapter of Genesis at the very beginning of all humanity. The scripture says this, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Is it good to be alone? Absolutely not. We need to come together, bond and attach. Okay, we got it. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and he made woman. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it to a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called, whoa, man, this is great. He loved her. For out of man this one was taken, woman, connected, good. And then the Bible says this, And this is why, therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother. He connects and then he leaves his family of origin and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They had a good, healthy, wonderful relationship. They attached and then they separated and started their own family. We are going to learn how to do that today. It can be a lot trickier than it sounds. Dr. John Townsend puts it like this. He says, When we don't feel free to be honest and truthful with others about our opinions and values, we set in motion the process of allowing ourselves to be controlled by the feelings and desires of others. That, in turn, leads to a deep sense of powerlessness and resentment based on a feeling of helplessness. This leads to depression because depression is the result of the death of hope. And friends, remember, we are Easter people. We are people of hope. We are too blessed to be depressed, as some of my friends say it. So God is with us. We can do this together, but it will take the best of us. It will take some really good work to live into this well so that we can be blessed to be a blessing. The wisdom literature of Proverbs says it like this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. We have to hold on to hope. We have to be able to set good and healthy boundaries so we can work on that which is ours and not worry about that which is not ours. Because we're not God's friends. We're just people. We're humans on the planet and we need God's help and we need one another's help. And together we will get better at setting boundaries and keeping them in a way that leads to life. So the goal of what we're talking about today, the goal is bonding with boundaries, which is intimacy. Bonding, yes, attachment, with boundaries, with real separateness, so that we can love other people as they really are, not as we might want them to be or try to make them to be. So healthy intimacy is where closeness plus clear separateness exists where differences of opinion and even arguments do not disturb the sense of being rooted and grounded in love. Wouldn't it be great if the next time you sat down at the family table for a holiday meal, you could disagree with someone and still feel absolutely loved and accepted and nurtured and cherished? And wouldn't it be great if you could do that for someone else? Paul writes to the early church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being, in your inner self, in your real soul, with power through His Spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. That God would live in you in such a way that the chaos of the world or even some of the nonsense that you hear across the table, it doesn't sway you, it doesn't move you, it doesn't incite you, it doesn't enrage you. You are so filled with God's love that you respond in love because that's what's flowing out. Of you. But if you did not grow up in a family where you both had bondedness with boundary, attachment, and also healthy separateness, there are three real challenges that come out of that. And I will share them with you very quickly. The first is known as fusion. Uh, In counseling and therapy uh, and psychotherapy circles, they talk about fusion. Uh, And this can be really difficult uh, if that's how you grew up. Fusion is when bonding occurs without boundaries. And, and this is where um, it happens sometimes in the early romance stage where there's no fights, there's no disagreements. It's not that they don't, uh, they're not really there, that the people are in denial because they're so afraid of what would happen if they actually disagreed with the person that they loved. Here's the thing you have to know, friends. Disagreement is not a sin. Say it with me. Disagreement is not sin. It's not We are not all the same people. We're not all supposed to be the same people. You're free to have your own thoughts and beliefs and values, and we can love other people that are not exactly the same as us. That's good and right and healthy. Fusion is not. In fused relationships, differences of opinion, or even normal conflict is denied or, worse yet, punished. And There can be really bad scenarios that happen uh, between abusive partners, Or abusive parents, or even abusive siblings, when there's real punishment uh, if somebody in your family system doesn't get in line. Um, And there is hope for that. And just know that if, if you're in that situation, that is not okay. That is not okay. God allows us to have differences of opinion and still be warm, generous friends. The second way that this attachment and separateness goes awry is isolation, it's pretty simple. Isolation is when boundaries exist, but not bonding. You know, people say, oh yeah, I've got real hard boundaries, but I don't have any friends. Like I, I, I control my life, I do what I want to do, but I don't really know anyone and no one really knows me. An isolated individual, it's true that they control their life, but they have no deep emotional relationships. There's, there's nobody that they're really invested in and no one can really invest in them because they don't let themselves be known. And that is a very sad place to be. It's not good to be alone, God says. We're to be attached and bonded with other people in our lives. And the third way that this goes sideways on us is that without bonding and boundary, both of those, without bonding or boundary, a person is left in chaos. It's really a chaotic life. They're neither connected nor self-directed. Because if they're not bonded with anyone, they don't have any way to learn and grow and to be healthy. And if they can't set a boundary, then then they don't know what to do. They don't know where they begin and end and where the world begins and ends. Friends, when we are unable to form deep attachments and have problems delaying gratification, we find ourselves lost and alone. Our lives are simply a mess. And sometimes we would, people might even consider this a broken soul where their life is just always a mess, always in chaos because they never learned how to attach to people and they never learned how to set a boundary with with anyone or anything. And so their life is always this tumultuous time of grief and hardship. Now, if that's you today, don't lose hope because Jesus came for you because He loves you right where you are. And the religious people, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. But the Scripture tells us this. It says, And as he, Jesus, as Jesus sat at dinner in Levi's house, we know Levi as Matthew, the writer of Matthew, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said, No, 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 wait, 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 wait. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, those who are broken, those who are lost, those who are lonely, I have come to call not the righteous, not those who are up and in, not those that have it all together. I have come to call the broken, the sinners, those who don't follow all the rules and regulations of the religious life of the Jewish community at the time. God has come for you, whether you're isolated or whether you're fused or whether you're in chaos or whether... You're having a good life. Jesus comes for all of us right where we are. There's help and hope in the name of Jesus for you today. But it might take wonderful community around you to help you get there. So let's take a look at what boundaries look like. I know I've said this before, but I need to say it again. Everybody on the planet, we need both attachment and freedom. Attachment and freedom. And this... Is one of my favorite pictures uh, that Chantel has ever taken of me. It's my backside, but it happens to be with our youngest son Noah. Uh, we are walk. We used to live across the street from Washington Irving Elementary, and we would walk ourselves over. And uh, Noah was a big fan of Thomas the Tank Engine, and uh, I became a fan of Thomas the Tank Engine too. Has a little backpack, and so we're holding hands and we're walking in, and we are attached. But there's going to be a moment when we walk into the classroom where there needs to be separateness. Right? I, don't, I don't get to sit in the pre-K class with Noah. That would be weird and inappropriate. Right? We, we attach, we hold hands, we're close. But then at the right time, he begins to have freedom. He begins to separate. Now, that was a long time ago. That was uh, back in August of 2003. Uh, Noah now pretty much lives on his own up at Wichita State University. And he has a lot more freedom than in this, in this photo. It's something that we grow into. So a boundary, right? Everybody has their own little backpack. A boundary is what distinguishes one person from another, what sets her or him apart. Yes, Noah is my son and I love him and we're attached and, and all my love goes with him. But there's a moment where that love then separates and he goes on to learn the things that he's supposed to learn at pre-K or in aerospace engineering, and I can't help with his classwork any longer. It's his to-do. So spiritual and emotional boundaries, they exist to show what is mine and what is not mine. It's my job to protect and provide and to care for my family, and so I do that. But when it comes to my son's homework, that's not mine. When they use the family vehicle, it's mine to make sure that it's insured and that it runs properly, but after they've been out on a trip, it's theirs to make sure the car returns with a full tank, not mine. Their trip, their cost, their gas. Get it? That's the way a boundary works. I'm happy to do my part. I'm happy for them to do their part. Reverend Brandon uh, shares with me and and helps me do research in our sermons. And he came across uh, this from one of his favorite authors, Miroslav Volf. And it's this photo um, that Volf writes about. He says, on the other side of this wall belongs to my neighbor. And, And yes, there's a wide opening, but no gate. So when we talk about boundaries, we need to know what's mine and what's not mine. But it doesn't mean that we have to be closed off. It doesn't mean that we have to be isolated. This is a beautiful photo of what a healthy relationship with a neighbor looks like. You don't just go over into your neighbor's yard, uh, you know, particularly uh, around Oklahoma. That could get you shot. Like, don't do that. You need to be invited in. But you also don't have to build some sort of fortress to keep friends out, right? You can have a boundary Um, that's permeable, that you can walk in and out of, that you can invite people over and you can uh, invite them to go back home at the right time. Uh, That's the way a good boundary is. It can be open and it can be closed. It doesn't have to be harsh uh, or overly dramatic. It can simply be a three or four foot wall that simply delineates, this is mine, this is not mine. And in healthy relationships, we respect both that which is ours and that which is others one example of a boundary is our skin. Our skin is a super important boundary. It keeps your blood in, your muscles in, your bones in. You need your skin. And you would never want for someone to violate the boundary of your skin, nor would you want to do that to someone else. Your body is yours. Now, sometimes um, if you're sick, you might need to invite a physician or a surgeon in to cross that boundary to bring you health and healing. But that's a very special case. The word no is also a boundary, and it forms kind of like a muscle. You have to use it and get stronger. So the word no is a boundary, and when we use no well, we help define and protect ourselves. And sometimes we help define and protect others and our family. So using no is like a muscle. You got to use it, get stronger, and it takes a great deal of time to mature. There are people who have rarely said no in their life because they weren't allowed to say no as a child. and something you have to learn how to do. And it can feel very scary if you've never done it or if you've said no and you've been punished for it. But I want you to know that all the way back in the Psalms, in the Bible, no is an important part of the people of faith and our vocabulary. Psalm 101.7 says it like this, No one who, prote- who practices deceit shall remain in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue in my presence. Truth is a big deal for people of faith. It is the truth that sets you free. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And people who lie, nope. You don't get to be in a close, intimate relationship because you can't trust them. No one who utters lies shall continue in my presence, the psalmist says. It's just not safe. So what do boundaries do? What do they look like? How do we live those out? Well, boundaries determine what we are responsible for and what we are not responsible for. So when I set a boundary, everything within my boundary is mine, and I have to take responsibility for my life. That which is on the other side of the boundary is yours, and that's yours to do with. Now, what you do on the other side of the boundary, does that affect me sometimes? Oh, yeah, it does. Uh, And might I be really sad about that or kind of fearful, like, oh, what does that mean? Like, I might need a different neighbor because of, of the way you're acting very close to my boundary. Yeah, maybe but it's not mine. That would be yours. And we need to be able to respond. We are responsible for. Now, let's look at that word real closely. Responsibility is the ability to respond. Response ability. That's what it means. And so everything in our boundary, we're responsible for. We have the ability to respond, but I can't respond for you because that's yours. And I don't know everything about you or how you think or how you feel or what you would want to happen. And I ought not guess because that will really cause a lot of brokenness in our relationship. So here's a couple of struggles. We struggle when we don't take care of the things within our boundaries, right? I don't put gas in the car. It doesn't run. My responsibility. I'm able to respond. If I don't, I'm going to run out of gas. We also struggle when we do take care of the things outside our boundaries. If I buy gas for every other person that I know, I'm going to run out of money really fast. It's theirs to do. It's not mine to do. And so we struggle both when we don't take care of our business in our boundary, and when we try to take care of other people's business outside of our boundary. Now, you may say, well, what does this look like? That, you know, you're just, you're just talking in circles. Well, hold on. So boundary, confusion, and injury it's a real thing. It happens in all families, even in good families, even in families that are getting better and stronger. They're, this happens. It just happens. So uh, I want you to learn from some of these psychologists that have really been helping me as I learn alongside you. Parents who feel abandoned when their children begin to make autonomous choices. Friends, there are families that feel threatened when their two- and three-year-old starts to say, mine, or no, me do it. So when they're starting to be their little selves, their little autonomous selves, there are parents that are really threatened by that. Friends, they're tiny. You don't have to be threatened by that. They're not supposed to be little infants forever. It's a part of growing up. There are also parents who feel threatened by their increasing loss of control over their children. Friends, if you've got kids like I do that are in college and they're in their 20s now, That's theirs to do. I remember when we dropped off uh, our oldest, John Mark, for college, uh, another woman was dropping off her daughter, and as she drove off, she yelled through the window, make good choices, and that's what we hope for, make good choices. But we need not feel threatened if our kids don't do exactly what we did when we were in college, and sometimes we ought to thank God for that too. Also, families that equate disagreement with sin, that's a problem. You can disagree you really can. It's okay. There were 12 tribes of Judaism. They weren't all the same tribe, right? Different people living out their faith in different ways. It's okay. Um, United Methodism is one expression of the Christian faith. It's not the only expression of the Christian faith. And so friends, if you've got other Christian friends that think of things differently, that's okay. Be kind, listen, respond in grace. There are also families that are afraid That when their child expresses anger at them, that that's not okay. It's okay. People get angry. Or sometimes their child is sad. And you're like, why are you sad? You should be having a good day. Well, it's okay for a child to be sad. Or maybe the child is just anxious. Maybe they're just worried about things. Well, friends, if you follow the news lately, I mean, the world can be kind of a scary place. We want to be able to respond with love and acceptance, whatever emotion our family members are having. Right? Because we want the full range of emotion. There are also families that praise compliance in the name of togetherness over healthy independence. Now, is it important that we teach our children and our grandchildren what it is to honor uh, the elderly, to honor parents, to honor family obligations? Absolutely. But we also have to ask ourselves, do I not really, I mean, is it really important that my teenager miss this Whatever it is, this time with their best friend or uh, their football game or their soccer match for this family event? Maybe it is. Or maybe I'm just afraid to talk to grandma. We need to be honest about those things. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. Another problem is that when families where the children feel responsible for the happiness of the parents, I see this way too often. And these are often kids that make straight A's. They're super compliant. They're loving. They're gracious. Everybody would say that they're the best Christian they've ever met. But that is way too much weight for a kid to handle. Kids are to be kids. Parents are to be parents. And if your children feel responsible for how you're doing, that's messed up. That's not theirs. You are responsible for you and your boundary. Your kids are responsible for themselves and their lives in their boundary. And we do that out of love. There's also families that rescue children from experiencing the consequences of their behavior. When we act, there are natural consequences to those actions. And oftentimes, if we're open to it, we can learn from those consequences. And finally, families that continue to take responsibility for the children into adulthood. And I would just share with you as pastor of more than 20 years here at Acts 2... Some of the most difficult conversations I've had and some of the people in the deepest weeds, the deepest struggles, deepest financial problems are people who co-signed for loans for their adult children and the the kids, they just defaulted and it got put back on the parents. And they, they wanted to retire, they were ready to retire, and they couldn't because they could not detach themselves from caring for their adult children. And it blew up their life. It absolutely blew up their life. And sometimes they even think, well, why is God doing this to me? I'm like, God's not doing that to you. You're doing that to yourself because you won't set a boundary with your adult children. It's their time to leave, to separate and cling to their new family. There's a time and a place for everything under heaven, the scripture says. So here's a very pointed piece that Paul writes to the church in Galatia. There's two instructions here. The first is this. That we are to bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they're something, they deceive themselves, almost test their own work, and then that work rather than their neighbor's work will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. And so there's this juxtaposition between burdens and loads. What is Paul saying? Every one of us on the planet, friends, we are to carry our own load, our knapsack, our backpack, right? Even little ones, four or five years of age, they can carry their own backpack. And they're responsible for what's in it. Colors, paper, pencils, erasers, scissors, right? That's theirs. Even the little ones, it's not too heavy, it's appropriate. Everybody carries their own backpack. That's our load. Our load is the responsibility we shoulder for ourselves. Attitudes, beliefs, needs, choices, feelings, values, time, possessions, money. Yes, it's your responsibility how you spend your money. Absolutely. Talents, behaviors, and bodies. Right, Take care of your body. It's the only one you got. That's yours to do, not anybody else's. In Ephesians, Paul says it like this. Speaking the truth in love. We're back to this truth thing. We must grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. We grow up carrying our loads a little bit early when we're little. And then those loads can grow um, into middle age. And then, really, those loads need to get smaller again as people age uh, into their uh, golden years. We need to make sure that the load that people are carrying is appropriate to the time of their life. There's a lot of grandparents out there carrying some pretty big loads for their kids. When really, maybe the kids should be starting to carry the load for their parents. Now, not your load is your burden. And burden is the Greek word for boulders, for these huge rocks that you could not possibly move on your own. They're heavy, crushing burdens that can't be carried alone. They look like this those are big boulders. And everybody, at some time in their life, comes to a moment where they just can't handle it on their own. Mine came a year and a half ago when I had knee replacement. And the church, you were so wonderful to me, so great. I had little friends come. Uh, the Yarholer girls came and visited me uh, and encouraged me, and I got stronger. I wanted to get up and get out of bed and go walking so that they could be proud of me, that Pastor Mark was you know, heading back to church. And it really lifted my soul. It lifted my spirit. And there were also health professionals that helped me literally get back on my feet. That's what carrying a burden with someone is, to help them get on their feet. And so um, I can't even tell you this young man's name. But He made a difference in my life. I got back up and He helped me and I was on a walker for a while and then the walker went away and now I'm back with you a year and a half later. It was a time of great burden for me and so many of you lifted me up and I felt supported and helped. And today, I preach before you without a walker. That's a great thing. So we are responsible for ourselves, for our bodies, for our resources, our backpack at every age but only partially responsible to others. So we're responsible for ourselves, but we're responsible to others in their time of need. So uh, the end of Galatians goes like this. Paul writes, So let us not grow weary in doing what is right for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. Yeah, we're supposed to be there for one another, especially for those in our family of faith, but we can't do it if we're too busy carrying everybody else's loads. We'll never be there for the people who are truly burdened if we're overloaded ourselves. So we're not to grow weary in doing what is right, but we absolutely will grow weary if our load is more than our own. So we have to carry our own load and then look to where we might help others with their burdens from time to time. So your action step, very simple but kind of hard to do. Take responsibility. You respond. You're able for your life. Those things in your boundary, you can do it and help others in crisis. Help them with those big boulders that are too big to move on their own. And that will come to you from time to time. It shouldn't be every day of your life. But from time to time, you'll see someone in your faith community or in your neighborhood or in your family system or in your school system that really could use some help. And Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another, that we help with each other's burdens and we carry our own loads. You can do it. I'm praying for you. We're rooting for you. We're cheering you on in Jesus' good and mighty name. Let's pray. Our Father